day before the debate. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jared, how are you doing today? Quite well, Ben. You? Not too bad. I'm. Uh, I've got full uh, New York politics fever here. We are. We are getting. We are getting close. Today is the twelfth, which means exactly one month until early voting starts on June twelfth. Um, so we are really. We're in it here. Absentee ballots are, I think, going out. You know, people are starting to actually vote. Maybe pretty soon, any day now, and. Uh, Early voting in a month and primary day not long after that. So we are we're in it and uh, we have a great show today. As you mentioned, tomorrow's the first official televised debate of this New York City mayor's race and uh, eight Democratic candidates will be on stage. That's that's quite a few, but there's clearly a top tier of eight candidates here and uh, they're going to debate on Thursday evening. That's right. And so we're going to have two people on the show who have been there and done that. Christine Quinn, the former Speaker of the City Council, who, of course, was a mayoral candidate in 2013. And Bill Thompson, the city comptroller for two full terms. He was the Democratic nominee in 2009 and then a candidate in 2013 as well. They'll be talking about not just their views uh, as observers on the current race, but what it was like to run for mayor, uh, some of the things behind the scenes that those of us who've never done that can't appreciate that might be relevant to explaining what's going on now and understanding it. And then we'll have on to talk more specifically about tomorrow's big debate, Bob Hart, who is the longtime politics director at New York One, Spectrum New York One, which, of course, is one of the uh, main sponsors and, and conveyors of that debate. So a very big show. And I think, Ben, as you mentioned, we have been talking about this mayoral race now for it feels like a very long time on the show. You and I probably even before we began broadcasting on it. But just in the past three or four days, it feels like the temperature turned up a bit, that the statements of the candidates about one another has gotten sharper. Um, in some cases, uh, candidates saying sharp things about more than one uh, fellow candidate and the things in general are just feeling uh, much, much more serious now. Absolutely. Yeah, we've definitely turned a corner here. I still feel like we're in the the phase before the final phase, which I I think really kicks in after Memorial Day, as I said, I think last week when we chatted. But um, we've definitely turned a corner here. As you said, there have been additional and sharper barbs being thrown between candidates. We've seen people like Ray McGuire start to really escalate how he's approaching Eric Adams and Andrew Yang. Um, Eric Adams is never short on his own barbs, and he's even as either number one or number two in the sort of horse race at this point. He's you know throwing a lot of daggers towards Andrew Yang especially, um, and I could keep going from there. And then we've seen uh, candidates releasing their first TV ads, and I've seen some of those ads going up on TV, including on New York One. Um, Maya Wiley just put out her first ad. Catherine Garcia had hers out. Catherine Garcia just got the endorsement of the New York Times editorial board. Eric Adams got the endorsement of the New York Post editorial board. So things are really absolutely heating up. Candidates have been releasing plan after plan. And so there's a lot going on and a lot, uh, hopefully, you know, a lot more attention on the race from the general public, the voting public. I really hope we have strong voter turnout in June. And we're obviously doing whatever we can through this show and our websites and other things that we do to, to make that happen. Um, but I will say I'm, I'm very excited about today's guests. I really uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from Christine Quinn, Bill Thompson and Bob Hart. So uh, we're in it and it's exciting and it's important. Definitely. And I think it's worth mentioning, Ben, since you talked about our efforts to, you know, get people interested in the mayoral race. Obviously, there are plenty of other races on the docket too. city council. 
council, borough president, a DA race in Manhattan, uh, the other citywide uh, offices of comptroller and public advocate also having primaries on the 22nd. There's, of course, a Republican mayoral candidate uh, a primary as well, and uh, some Republican primaries on the council level. Um, ben and I, along with partners and a couple other outlets, are doing uh, something called Council Countdown, which is a, a day-by-day sort of breakdown of, of council races all over the city that you can find on any of our sites, citylimits.org, gothamgazette.com, city and state, uh, among the partners. Uh, and tomorrow I'll be hosting a Bronx Borough President uh, Forum uh, in the uh, in the afternoon. If you want information on that, you can go to citylimits.org. But interesting, Ben, about the change and sort of the tenor of the race, things getting more serious. You mentioned some of the factors and evidence of that already. And of course, it's playing out against a real world background of, you know, what I think the, the big theme of the past couple of weeks has been concern about public safety with the incident in Times Square. Um, apparently some more incidents on the subway system today, really cr- creating a backdrop against which candidates, especially like Eric Adams, to some degree, Andrew Yang, who have talked about public safety um, a lot um, and maybe, you know, reversing some of the reforms uh, that we've had in the past few years. Ray McGuire today releasing a statement basically going after Andrew Yang around the question of whether to decriminalize sex work and which to, to what extent to do that. So it's interesting that, you know, as the, the temperature is warming, the race is getting hotter, um, and, you know, the public safety situation continues to be kind of a, an interesting and perhaps very important backdrop to the discussion that the mayoral candidates are having and probably the discussion they'll have tomorrow night. Absolutely. I mean, I think front and center at the first debate will be issues of public safety, especially addressing gun violence, addressing safety in the subway system, which by and large is still very safe. But there have been a troubling you know, number of incidents and and um, certainly with a rise in hate crimes, especially against Asian-Americans recently, there's concerns there. So public safety will be a major topic already is and will be a major topic for the stretch run of this campaign. And definitely, I would assume at the first debate, you know, policing and public safety were going to be major topics no matter what. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of where the focus is. And of course, we're seeing now a bit of a switch from police reform and defunding the NYPD and reallocating those resources to, you know, other social programs to get at root causes. We're seeing much more conversation around sort of beefing up policing, what that looks like, precision policing, anti-gun policing, and things of that nature. At the same time, though, you have people like Maya Wiley, Diane Morales, uh, even Sean Donovan to an extent, and Scott Stringer, uh, you know, still talking about reallocating some funds away from the NYPD to get at root causes, to reinvest in communities, to try to uh, circumvent, you know, reasons that people uh, get involved in gangs and crews and, you know, commit gun violence um, because their their lives have gone in, in the wrong direction. So there's still some of that conversation happening. I think voters will see very stark differences when that conversation unfolds at the at the first debate. And uh, now we're very pleased to bring on our, our first guest for today. Together again, uh, they've shared uh, stages before and many, many daises. Um, but we're very pleased to welcome Christine Quinn, the former Speaker of the New York City Council, and Bill Thompson, uh, among other things, a former New York City Comptroller and both former candidates for New York City Mayor. Chris Quinn, Bill Thompson, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you both. And I just want to ask, you know, first of all, before we get into your your own experiences and memories of the unique uh, role of being a mayoral candidate, what your gut 
read is on this year's race, whether it's wide open, whether you feel it's trending a particular way, some dynamic you think is in place. Uh, Madam Speaker, let's start with you. What do you? How would you describe the state of the mayoral race today? Well, this whole ranked choice voting adds a whole uh, new uh, component to the race that I think it's hard really for any of us to comment on or know how that'll play out. So that's kind of point one. Two, I think it's really significant that Captain Garcia got the times so early. You know, there's question about how much a Times endorsement matters anymore. But to get it, you know, five, six weeks as early as she did, I think that's going to make make a difference for her because it gives her a long time to get that out there at a time when people are not clear on this one, two, three, four, five thing. Mr. Thompson, what do you think? Yeah, I'd have to agree. I'd say that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. I think people are just starting to focus uh, on the race. And ranked choice voting, which the majority of New Yorkers aren't as aware of, don't know exactly how it works, leads to a lot of uncertainty. So I think that, you know, it's clear that when you look at there are in any poll, there are probably three or four people who poll near the top, but at the same point, there's room for movement, and there's still a lot of time as people start to do ads, as people start to get out there, as the public starts to focus, and as people start to understand ranked choice voting. Let's stay with RCV for a second, because you both mentioned it, and we wanted to get to that anyway. Uh, Obviously, there is a lot of confusion about how it's going to work, a lot of questions about what its impact will be. It's early days, obviously, because we haven't seen how it's going to play out. But starting with you, Mr. Thompson, do you think it's it's a good thing? I've never been a fan of ranked choice voting. Uh, I, I think that I know what people intended, and the intentions are good. At the same point, I think that there is uh, anything that's going to create confusion right now in, in, in amongst the electorate, anything that's going to cause the public to take a step back and not be sure about what to do, I think that's a mistake. When you're, when you're in a time where more and more people have been voting, it appears, particularly if you look at presidential elections, it's because you have a choice. I'm either voting for candidate A or candidate B. And right now, as we face a, a crucial election for New York City, uh, I just think it's tough. And, and, and to make that change, I mean, obviously, no one could have predicted, um, you know, uh, obviously, and looked in the future and said, hey, we're going to have a pandemic and people are going to be locked down. And it's going to be difficult. But it's probably the worst time to make that change right now. So I just, you know, whether you're a fan of ranked choice voting or not, what a difficult time to, to, to bring this to play. What do you think, Ms. Quinn? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with Billy. I mean, it's the worst time ever for a voting change. But I also, I don't, I'm not a fan of this switch whenever we were to do it. And like, Billy, I get the point, but I'm not sure there was that deep a need for it right now in the city. I mean, the New York City Council, from a racial perspective, is very diverse in, say, the past, you know, decades, 15 years. 
we haven't had enough women. That is true. And we could potentially, um, uh, uh, when this election is done, have some of the lowest numbers ever as it relates to women. But the real push for ranked choice voting is to bring more racial diversity, which the city council has been a leader on. So it was like fixing a problem that wasn't there in a way that I Agreed. think could have ramifications that are, are not helpful as it relates to And I would to agree. It, 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 it perhaps will have the opposite effect. Yeah. And at a time where, as, when you look around the country, there aren't that many places that use ranked choice voting. So I wasn't a fan of this when it was on the ballot. I, I voted no. Um, and when you look at other attempts, was it 2004 where people were talking about uh, – Back then, there was an attempt on the charter to do uh, nonpartisan yeah. voting. It, right. it's, this, it, it's kind of the same thing, just dressed up differently. Uh, there aren't that many places in the country that use ranked choice voting, and I hate to say it. It almost reminds me of the old school board elections because that's what they used back then. Oh, my. Well, let's uh, let's oh, go God. back, actually, yeah. to uh, to pre-RCV days and, and your experiences as mayoral candidates. And it strikes me that you both were very, you know, veteran uh, public officials when you first ran for mayor. Mr. Thompson, you've been on the Board of Education and, and city comptroller. And Speaker Quinn, you were a speaker and a city council member uh, before that even. So given that, when you ran for mayor, what would you say was the... Uh, the biggest thing that was different about that from previous parts of your public life, what, was there any kind of a big surprise to that, something you did not expect, despite being, you know, kind of uh, uh, battle-worn uh, public officials? <laughs> battle-worn may be an interesting <laughs> way to describe it. But, um, uh, and Chris, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. Um, well, you know, I, it's, I had run for council in my district and then run for speaker. But when you run for speaker, you're corralling the votes of your colleagues on the city council. So I had actually never run before where I was trying to get the votes of people outside of the third council district. So that was, although I'd been through, you know, a big uh, battle as it relates to getting elected and reelected speaker, it, it was very different. Even though it's a citywide position, I'd never been through a citywide election before. And I had been through uh, a citywide, two citywide elections for controller and won both times. The, there's a huge difference. Uh, running for controller, it doesn't get the same attention, uh, the, the same scrutiny, you name it. So it, in a race for mayor, everything that you do is scrutinized. Every comment, every facial expression, every, I mean, it, it, it can be yeah. a lot of fun or, and exhilarating and stressful also. I mean, and, and back then, I mean, it's, and, and Chris can tell you. How many forums did we do? I don't know, a hundred, a hundred and twenty. I saw and somebody sometimes complain. Sometimes it would be like two or three on one night. Yes, <laughs> which is remarkable because that's happening now. But that's you know it's facilitated by Zoom. Back then, you of course were actually going from place to place to sit on these yes. panels and be uh, part yeah. of that forum. And I know people complained about the, the multiple number of forums these days. And I was like, yeah, but if I could have sat. In, in in my office and done Zoom calls, it's a wear and tear on the body. It's a lot that it's a lot different, a lot different. Yeah. 
So I it's interesting. Uh, obviously, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Madam Speaker. I was going to say, I, I joked uh, eight years ago, we all should have rented a van and gone around in it together. We would have <laughs> yeah. saved gas uh, <laughs> and stress. Yeah, there might have been an awkward silence in that van sometimes, I'm could assuming. Be, but be. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, so so obviously reporters like Ben and I follow the candidates and, and they do maintain a busy public spe- schedule of appearances and forums and the like. Um, but obviously most of the calendar, they are, they are not necessarily visible to the public, especially before the last days of the campaign. It's different for every candidate. You know, some of them might be going to the gym, playing video games, whatever. When, when you were running for mayor and you weren't doing a public ap- appearance, how did you spend your time? What is a mayoral candidate doing when they're not on camera? Dialing for dollars. Well, I certainly wouldn't go to the gym or playing video games. And I think <laughs> exactly. I can speak for Billy. He was. Well, that's uh, right. So, so how much of it was dialing for dollars versus you know re- reading up on policy? You know, talking to people behind the scenes. What, what, what was the what was that work like? It's you're, you're, really there, you're there's no downtime. There's mm-hmm. no downtime ever, and the only downtime are the few hours that you're sleeping. And and to speak, I mean, brief, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Chris, but she worked and worked hard. And there's very little. There's just almost no break. So you may be able to go and sleep for a few hours, but then you're up early in the morning. You're out shaking hands and subway stations and a bunch of other things all across the city. There's not that. There's almost no downtime. So going to the gym. Yeah. Video games? I mean, that's that's unheard of. That's just doesn't Bill, happen. Billy's right because you were, you know, at a subway in the morning, but sometimes you were, in, you know, at the uh, Metro North stop in Riverdale, right? So wherever yep. you lived, I was in Chelsea. You know, it's, you got to leave early to get there on time to meet <laughs> the commuters. There's dialing for dollars, lunches with donors, lunches with union leaders and, you know, interviews with the League of Conservation Voters and this one and that one. There's debate practice. There's, you know, uh, meet and greets. It never really stops. And Billy's right. You, you go on very, very little, little sleep. And then some people like I was still speaker. So I had, uh, yeah. you know, a bunch of, of responsibilities that I had to keep going at, at City Hall. Uh, so there's also that for a candidate, depending on what position that they're in. Let me ask about those meet and greet events, you know, the talking to commuters coming off the Metro North train or, um, you know, going to the, uh, the chicken center. dinner of the Women's Auxiliary and talking to people there. That obviously is an element of the campaign that this year has been uh, far less evident just because of the restrictions on, on meeting and talking to people. It's becoming a bigger part now. But looking back at what you did of that, well, did that have a value beyond kind of the photo op, um, those sort of interhuman interactions? Um, what do you think the purpose of that was, uh, Ms. Quinn? I mean, I think it did. I think it did because, one, if you win, having met all those people, you will have learned even more about New York City. And you'll be even more in touch with where people are at and what they need. Two, hopefully you're getting some votes. Three, 
people will say, you know, last night I met so-and-so. Last night I was, you know, the rec room in my building and so-and-so came and, you know, we talked about this and we talked about that. So I think, you know, there is a tremendous value in that direct retail politics. That's why you see every level of election, even the president of the United States doing it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's, you know, it's... Uh, it is part of it is meeting and I mean the one point the, the best point that Chris made there it's you're in people's neighborhoods. New York City is a huge place and it's it's also you get to see every neighborhood you get to see yeah. different things you have a different understanding when you're in someone's neighborhood you can understand New York City but when you're in their neighborhood when you're on the ground when you're listening to them when you're talking to that person when you're even someone grabs you as they're hopping on the subway in the morning for five minutes or three minutes that's huge you learn from those you learn from people the interaction um, is excellent it is a learning process and people are also learning about you and they and, and and chris is right you get you know they're like guess who i met or you run into somebody who says two people i know saw you at the subway this morning it's 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 all about building a campaign and it has to be incredibly difficult right now not to be able to do any of that not to really have the interaction with people or to have it from such a distance um, it's just, it, it's, it's gotta be so different. One thing that I, ass- we can assume, uh, at least some of the candidates are doing right now tonight is preparing for tomorrow's debate. Their first official one, obviously, as, as you guys did, they've had dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of forums, but this is the first official primetime televised debate. How did you, starting with you, Mr. Thompson, how did you prepare for those encounters? What kind of, uh, what kind of prep did you do? Well, some of it is just going back over facts and information to make sure, I mean, to make sure that you're retaining all of it. And then there's debate prep. Uh, you know, you're going through it with other people and practicing with and they're, they're going at you and hitting you with everything that they can. So that it, it is, you know, when when you're getting ready and, and particularly say the day before debate, the night before debate, you shut it down because you want to make sure you get some rest, you sleep. Uh, your, your schedule the day of a debate is a light schedule because more than anything, you're just still focused on debate prep. And that's exactly what, I mean, I think we're all going to be tuning in because uh, you want to see the first debate between all the candidates. And so it's a lot of it is debate prep. It's getting ready. It is also trying to, you know, make sure that your supporters come away happy that you performed well. So it's uh, it's it's that's exactly probably what a lot of people are doing right now. Debate prep with other people, making sure that they've got their points and the points that they want to make also that they're working those through and, and, and working on delivery on some of that. And Ms. Quinn, for you, did that involve like having people pretend to be the other candidates or just mm-hmm. pretend to be the journalists asking you tough questions? What did it look like for you? You know, we did um, uh, kind of a full on mock debate where people were the other candidates, people were the moderator, the reporter, the questioner, whatever, uh, where I would make an opening statement and each of them would make an opening statement as whoever they were playing and they would answer the question and I would answer the question. So we did uh, uh, all of that. 
And I think that's what most people do as well as, you know, make sure that you are well versed in your position papers and anything like that. I mean, we had at one point, you know, you had debate prep. Um, it was being filmed. So you could, so people could look at you also. And I remember right. one, at one point someone said to me, okay, stop rolling your eyes. <laughs> you know, that was kind of a thing, you're, you're, yeah. You you might have thought it was a dumb question, but stop rolling your eyes. In, in right, and like, you don't even know yeah. you're doing it. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. I didn't well, ever watch the debate for fear of that George Bush moment where, you know, I would check my watch because at some point you're <laughs> you're tired and you're, you know, for my case, sick of standing in heels and want to be done. <laughs> uh, another thing you guys are obviously very familiar with is, and, and Mr. Thompson referenced it already, fundraising. And, you know, the, the, the CFB, the matching fund system, is an increasingly important player with this year. The 8-to-1 match has really kept some candidates, I think, alive. Um, but there have always been questions about how that system works, the, you know, the difficulties of compliance, the effect it has on the playing field. Um, in sum, do you think that the CFB and the matching fund system accomplished their goals of, you know, giving us a play a campaign where, where money isn't that important and people basically have a level playing field? Or are we still not there yet, at least from your personal experience? Uh, Ms. Quinn, why don't you go first? Well, I, you know, uh, uh, making some big changes to the CFB system is one of the accomplishments uh, I'm most proud of from when I was speaker. So I think the system is much, much better and has really not just leveled the playing field, but opened the playing field, right? Because really, if you think about what the CFB should be doing, it should be making sure that the little league coach and the head of the PTA, you know, uh, that they are able to run for city council, too, because they're such huge contributors in their community. And I think the large number of council candidates really bears that out in a way that we all should be very, very proud of. You know, this year is different because Ray McGuire is not in the system. But so that uh, lifts the cap and people can keep fundraising. But it was a great thing eight years ago when I was done. There was no more I could raise. So I had more time to meet and talk with the donors. Now, I will say that one of our goals when I was in the council was to really try to, you know, eliminate uh, independent expenditures, et cetera. And obviously, the Supreme Court ruling really changed that substantially. And there are a ton of independent expenditures this year. It seems like almost every candidate has one. And I think it would behoove the next city council to look and see if there's anything they can do legally to put some constraints on that. Because I know you're not supposed to coordinate, but boy, there are a lot of independent expenditures. <laughs> Interesting. And you're listening to Max and Murphy here on WBI Radio 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. Jared Murphy from City Limits and Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. We're talking with Christine Quinn and Bill Thompson, two former top city officials, two former mayoral candidates, and doing lots of other things since their time in city government that we don't have time to to list. And they're here with us <laughs> to talk about their experience running for mayor. So we're sticking sticking with that. 
um, Jarrett won the the draw, so he got most of the time with you. But um, just a couple questions, just a couple more questions from me while we still have you. Um, the the 2013 campaign seemed to revolve a, a lot around sort of a city response in the in the kind of electorate and zeitgeist in the Democratic primary as a sort of repudiation to some of the Bloomberg years, some of the you know themes obviously of the inequality in the city and 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 such. How much do as you look at the at the city today and this race, how much do you feel like this this race is a sort of response race and the electorate is looking at it as a response and corrective to the de Blasio years? Uh, uh, Bill, what do you what do you think? You know, I think it is perhaps less of a reaction to the de Blasio years and more a reaction to where we're at right now as a city. You're looking at a city where there are where you've seen, you know, the effects of health disparities through the pandemic. You're seeing the effects right now of an economy that has been incredibly slowed because of the pandemic. You're looking at concerns these days about crime and what's happening to the city in that in in, in in a rise in crime and rise in shootings. All of those things together help to shape where we're at right now and shape the concerns of the public. As they look at each candidate, they want to hear from each candidate, what are you going to do? How are you going to help bring our city back? How are you going to help if anything else happens in the future? What are you going to do for, you know, communities of color to help you know, to prevent something like this happening again and communities being disproportionately impacted in health issues. It's and, and as you start to look and, and, and each and every day, you hear another story about someone being shot, about a problem, about this, about that, about something pertaining to crime. What are you going to do? And so I think all of that, it is less about the de Blasio years and more about where are we going as a city? It is. It is more. It, it is is more akin to after September 11th. And where's the city going to go? That's more of a discussion these days. Interesting, Chris. What do you think? You know, I, I think. Um, I mean, I agree with what, what Billy said, except I think it's a little bit uh, what. What he said versus is it a de Blasio change is a little bit like tomato, tomato, because I think, you know, what mm-hmm. it is about where the cities go. And for people, what that means is is vision, uh, enjoyment of the job and good management, which are the three things, three of the things that New Yorkers think they never saw from Bill de Blasio. Right now, he seems to be enjoying the job, but before then, he never yes. seems to enjoy the job. <laughs> you know, it's the weirdest his thing. Fir- his and first year and his last year. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. and he is a terrible. You know, has been a terrible you know manager and didn't really have a functional vision for the city. So I think you know Billy is right, and that happens to coincide with the, some of the biggest failings of Mayor Blasio. Which is interesting why I think, you know, we haven't seen him get involved in the race in an endorsement uh, way yet. And maybe he won't. Right. Right, right. Yeah, I took a little bit of the New York Times endorsement of, of Catherine Garcia as a, as at least an implicit uh, <laughs> implicit uh, rebuke of the mayor in terms of, of, right. of the management piece. Um, so 
we're we're heading into the final six weeks here, and we just have another minute with both of you. But if if you each could give this field of Democrats um, one major piece or minor piece of advice for these final weeks, looking back to your own experiences or just thinking about the race anew, um, what's one big piece of advice you'd you'd impart on these on these candidates for the sort of stretch run? Uh, why don't you go ahead, Bill? At this point, it is about maximizing every hour of every day. It is between the candidate and their supporters being out there as often as they can and and trying to reach out to people in different ways. That's what's important right now. Now it's about maximizing vote and turnout and maximizing in in a new election, in a new election atmosphere of ranked choice voting, attracting voters, attracting candidates, getting them to come out and vote for you either first or second. That's what I'd be doing. That's all I'd be doing right now. And Chris? Um, I would tell them double down on the issues you care about most. The thing mm-hmm. you want to work on on day one, talk about that, talk about that, talk about it. It's your passion. Make sure voters know about it and what you need to, to do more than anything else in these last six weeks, because you may win, you may lose, but you'll probably never run for mayor of the greatest city in the world again. Have fun. Just have mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Christine Quinn, Bill Thompson, we really appreciate your time. Wish we had uh, another hour with you to, to pick apart all your experiences, but we appreciate the time you spent with us today and uh, and we'll be watching along with you. And we might uh, might have to call on you again as we get closer to primary day or even the general election. But thanks so much for being with us. All right. Thank, thank you, you guys. Bye. All right. Take care. 